In the Christmas season, the church observes Advent. Advent uh, is a word that means arrival. And so a season of Advent is a season of awaiting an important person or event. And during Christmas, we celebrate the first Advent of Jesus coming into the world. But we also remember that we're awaiting a second Advent. We're awaiting Jesus' return. And this evening, I, I just want to spend a few minutes with you reflecting on what Jesus' first and second coming means. I want to read uh, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. Uh, I'm just going to read this passage. The words will be on the screen behind me as well. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along up there. I'm going to read the passage, and then I'm going to pray. And then I just want us to, to just spend a few moments thinking about Jesus' first and second coming and what it means for us. Here's what God's Word says. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So let me pray and then we'll jump in. God, I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word now. I pray that you would help me uh, in my weakness. I pray that you would help us hear, give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to us this morning, this evening. Holy Spirit, please speak to us now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not used to preaching in the evening. I keep saying morning. So Paul starts off by saying the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now, this might not seem like a Christmas passage at first glance, but I love how this phrase captures the meaning of Jesus' birth. The grace of God has appeared. That is truly what happened when Christ was born. In Luke chapter 2, verses 10 to 11, we read this earlier. Uh, when the angels come to the shepherds and announce the news that Jesus has been born, they say, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Jesus' birth is good news of great joy for all people because before Jesus came, as the light of the world, the entire world remained in darkness due to sin. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And later on in verse 12 it says that we were separated from Christ, having no hope and without God in this world. You see, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, they were cast out of God's presence in Eden and death entered into the world. And since then... Adam's rebellious, sinful nature has been passed down to every one of us. By nature, we're prone to wonder from God. We're prone to worship and serve the things that God has created rather than God himself. We love other things that God has made more than we love God. We spend our time, we spend our money, our talent, our affection, our, our thoughts on other things that God has created rather than placing God on the throne of our heart. And worse still, we stand condemned before God because of our sin. We have all repeatedly sinned against God who is perfectly holy. And we could never stand before God based on our own merit. 
many people try. Many people think, well, as long as I'm a pretty good person, won't God accept me? I mean, I, I've, I've done a lot of good things. I'm, I'm not as bad as some of these other people I know in my life. Some of, the, some of these friends from high school, I see what they're doing on Facebook, and psh, I'm not doing what they're doing. I mean, I feel like my life's pretty well put together. So, I mean, surely, like, I know I can't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure me and God are cool, right? The, the problem, though, is that there are no innocent people. You may be good compared to a, a gangster or a corrupt politician, but you will not be judged based upon how you stack up with your neighbor. That's not the standard by which we're going to be judged when we stand before God. You will be judged by how you stack up against God's perfect righteous law and guess what all of us have fallen short including myself all of us and because of your sin you owe an infinite debt to God that you could never repay and you lack the righteousness required to be able to enter into his presence so left to ourselves there is no hope which is why we needed a rescuer a redeemer a savior this is what Advent is all about. It reflects a season of longing, of yearning from rescue, a rescue from darkness and and despair because whether you know it or not, if you're apart from Christ, you are in a place of darkness and despair. You are separated from Christ right now without God and without hope in the world. And my hope this evening is that you'll be awakened to that and that you'll long for the light of Christ Jesus to break into your life. I love how the song that we sang a little earlier, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, captures this so well. There's that that verse that says, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, who mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appears. Israel longed for deliverance from exile, and God promised through the prophet Isaiah that a deliverer would come, and he would be Emmanuel. God with us. But you see, they thought that their big problem was that they were in captivity to the Assyrians. But that was really just to show them a picture of their captivity to sin and to death. Emmanuel, God with us, came to deliver God's people. And that is why Jesus came. That is why Titus 2.11 describes Jesus as the grace of God appearing. And he has brought salvation not just for Jews, but for all people, it says. Bringing salvation for all people. Now, that does not mean that all people are going to be saved. It means that in Christ, salvation is, is offered to all peoples of every nation. Jew and Gentile are offered to come and freely receive the gift of God's forgiveness in Christ. Well, How, how does Jesus save us, though? How does he save us? Well, he lived the perfect life that we couldn't. The Word of God, the eternal Word of God, was born as a baby. He became flesh and dwelt among us. And He fulfilled the law. He lived the life we couldn't, and then He died the death that we deserved. And it's, by his, and it's His blood that pays the debt for our sin and that cleanses us from unrighteousness. There is no other way to pay off your sin debt. There is no other way to clean yourself off from from the sins that you've committed, from the the filth that may be on you. You can't clean yourself, but Jesus' blood can. Christ can. 
When Jesus was hung on the cross, he died to bear the full weight of our sin. I love 1 Peter 2.24. It says that he himself bore our sin in his body on the tree. He himself. He took on our sin and he gives us his perfect, spotless righteousness as a free gift. And it's all received by faith alone. It's received by faith not by works. You don't have to clean yourself up first. You don't have to start going to church, you know, solid six months first and, you know, start tithing and doing all this stuff before God will accept you. No, right now, this evening, you can come to him and if you repent of your sin and you place your faith in Christ, you will be cleansed. You will be forgiven. You will be adopted as a child of God. That can happen for you tonight. It's by grace that we've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God not as a result of works, so that no man may boast. All of this means that if you are trusting in Christ alone for salvation, you are freed from the penalty of your sin. It will never be brought up. Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Which is a way of saying as far away as you could possibly get. Infinite. And not only that, but God adopts us as our children. He's our Father. Now, Paul also addresses life for believers between Jesus' first and second coming because Jesus does not just free us from sin's penalty, but He frees us from sin's power. Our lives change when we place our faith in Christ. We're, we're, we're born again, John chapter 3 says. It, look there again at Titus 2 and verse 12. He says, the grace of God has appeared. And then verse 12, it says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And then in verse 14, jump down. He says that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So, Good works are not the prerequisite for God's grace. They are the product of God's grace. Good works are not the prerequisite for God's grace. They're the product of God's grace. Genuine faith in Christ coincides with regeneration or being born again. God miraculously takes out our heart of stone that served sin, and He gives us a heart of flesh that loves Him and fears Him. That's how he trains us to renounce ungodliness and to be zealous for good works. So that means that if you have truly trusted in Christ, you'll be different. Like your life is going to be different. You're going to start to change. You're going to have a growing love for God and a growing hatred for sin. The things that you used to love, the sin that you used to love, you're not going to love it anymore because the Holy Spirit indwells you now. And if you start trying to go after sin, he's going to make you really miserable because he loves you and he's saying, stop going to this stuff that leads to death. I want you to go to life. So there will be fruit in your life if you have Trusted in Christ truly. It's not hard to distinguish a true Christian from a non-Christian. If you look and live just like the world, then it's probably because you're not a Christian. And maybe that sounds harsh to you tonight, or maybe that sounds painful, but, but my hope for you is that if that's true of you, that you'll kind of realize that tonight and that you will become a true Christian tonight. And that starting today, your life will begin to be transformed as the grace of God trains you to renounce ungodliness. 
and to be zealous for good works. One of the, one of the first things that people will think about uh, Christmas is Santa Claus. But this character is actually based on a real amazing person in history, St. Nicholas. He was born in the third century to wealthy, devout Christian parents, and they died when he was very young. And after coming to trust in Jesus himself as a, a, a later on in life, Nicholas longed to show others the love that Christ had shown him. And so he took his vast inheritance that he had from his parents, all that he owned, and he, he sold it all and he gave the money to the poor. He specifically had a heart for needy children, for orphaned children. And not only was he generous, but Nicholas suffered for his faith under the Roman emperor Diocletian, who was notorious for persecuting Christians. There's all sorts of of legends and stories that have been spun about St. Nicholas, but the real legacy of his life is that he lived like Jesus. The grace of God trained him to renounce ungodliness and to be zealous for good works. He was transformed by the gospel. Which is what spawned, the, which is what what spurred on this radical generosity and love and willingness to suffer for Christ and to boldly proclaim the gospel even in the face of persecution. He couldn't help loving Jesus and loving other people because he knew just how richly God had lavished him with grace when he didn't deserve it. And that is what God does in the life of His people. He saves us so that we can bear witness to Him with our lives and our lips. So let me ask you, is that where your focus is this Christmas season? Or are you more focused on what you're going to receive from others? The real goal of God's grace appearing is that it would make us Jesus-like. And Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. One of the greatest ways you can serve others this Christmas season is by telling them the good news about Jesus. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, including your family and your friends and your neighbors that don't know Him. But have you told them? Do they know? Has someone announced to them this good news of great joy? I mean, if we really believe this is good news of great joy, and it's not just lip service that we're paying here this evening, then we ought to go tell people, amen? We ought to look for opportunities to do that. So many people are dwelling in darkness. And a lot of times in America, yes, I understand that that darkness can be veiled. It's it's underneath the veneer of wealth and prosperity, but people are still hurting. They might look like they've got it together on the outside. They might have two cars in the driveway and a four-bedroom house and two kids, and everything might look good, but people are hurting, and darkness is real, and people need hope. And the reality is, is that no matter how much money they have, if they're apart from Christ, they're still dead in their trespasses and sins. They need to hear the gospel. Jesus' death and resurrection is good news to tell, but it it actually gets even better because, you see, Jesus is coming back. He didn't just come once. He's coming back again. God's grace appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to to live godly lives in the present age as we what? Look at there at verse 13, as we wait for our blessed hope. The appearing, there's a second appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there is a second appearing that we're waiting on. Jesus' first advent was humble, quiet, and unassuming. 
He was born in a manger to a low-class family in a run-down town called Bethlehem. And His glory was veiled. But Jesus' second coming will be far different. His glory will be on full display. And Philippians 2 says that on that day of His return, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's a, there's a phrase that the early church often used that's found, it's found one time in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 16, 22. It's Maranatha. It means our Lord come. It's, it's calling upon Jesus to return. It's an expression of longing for His return because we too are waiting. As God's people, in a sense, we also mourn in lowly exile here. This world is not our home. We are strangers and aliens, First Peter says. The sin and the suffering that marks the world around us produces a longing in us for a new creation. Without death, without sin, without injustice, without sorrow. We long for that world. But we don't have to despair. We are waiting for our blessed hope. And that's not a wish upon a star type of hope. That's not a maybe it'll happen type of hope. It's a confident hope. Jesus' second coming is not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. He is coming back, and when He does, He will bring an end to all sin, into all death, into all pain. Scriptures say He will swallow up death forever, because He's already defeated it. And he will, he will, he will be, we will be raised bodily from the dead, and we will dwell with God forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Not floating around in the clouds like little baby cherubs playing harps, that's not very exciting. No, no, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, and we're going to be raised bodily from the dead. And we're going to be in His presence forever and ever, and death will never steal it away ever again. There will be no more tears. That's what we're longing for and waiting for. That's why we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I think Romans 8, 18 to 21 expresses this longing for Jesus' return so well. And I just want to read this as we close out our time. Paul, the Apostle Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. As we prepare to light our candles and, and sing Silent Night, I want you to reflect on Jesus' first and second coming this evening. The light, the candle, as we hold up the candle, the light in the darkness symbolizes that hope has dawned. Son of God, love's pure light has come in the person of Jesus. And the light in the darkness also represents the light of, of hope, of future hope. Hope that hope in the darkness of sin and suffering that Jesus is coming back. And as we wait for Him, we are called to be a light in the darkness. As God's people, we are called to be a city shining on a hill. Amen. A city shining on a hill in Capitol Hill. Amen. Amen.